Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So I told my team after, hey, listen, like, you can tell them thank you. I, I'm honored, but I, I don't want to play Marissa. I want to play Dre. But I got on the phone with Donald and he said, well, tell me why. I said, I just don't want to catch up to my own self as an actor. And he was like, well, we thought of you for Marissa because we're used to seeing you in roles that make you feel very familiar. You feel like somebody that we know, our sisters, our our friends. And so that's what we automatically thought. But if that's the role you want, that's the role you get. Oh, and oh, I was almost like, what? wait, that I was is- on the phone thinking like, did this really happen? Or am I, was he hypothetically speaking? Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we're chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and joining me again this week is EW Editor-in-Chief Patrick Gomez. We're making this a regular thing. How are you, Patrick? I'm good. I, I love it. Uh, as do I. And we have some great topics to discuss today. Uh, but first, let me tell everyone who's on this week's episode. She's um, She's been grabbing my attention, uh, as well as that of audiences and critics for a few years now with her work in Judas and the Black Messiah, Project Power, The Deuce. Uh, and she also starred in uh, what I'm going to say is one of the uh, more unique and uh, strangely compelling shows of the last year swarm star dominique fishback i I enjoyed my conversation with her so much and can't wait for everyone to hear that um but before we get to that patrick let's talk about that show first and one of its creators donald glover he of course created and stars in atlanta he co-created swarm with janine neighbors uh who's also a co-ep and writer on atlanta he has an entire music career uh, as an alter ego he created, Childish Gambino. Um, So this guy's really, you know, he's a filmmaker, a storyteller, a creative, as much as he is an actor and a performer. And some of his stuff um, certainly has mainstream appeal, but some of his stuff is also abstract and poignant and provocative and profound. The uh, the three big uh, P's right there. Um, so then I turn to you, the other P, Patrick, to say, what is it about Donald Glover and and the stuff that he creates that, um, well, just what is it about him, a creator, that, that gets everyone's attention? Well, look, so uh, he started off um, as a writer. One of his first big opportunities was as a writer on 30 Rock. Uh, and then he parlayed that into community. Uh, stepping in front of the camera as well as working behind the scenes on that show. And he's always had this sense of humor with a point of view uh, and came at, he's always come at things a little sideways. And that certainly is true uh, with uh, Atlanta, uh, his previous series and swarm where it's, it's not for everyone, you know, and he would be the first to say that like he is making art, for himself, really. And luckily, there are a lot of other people that identify and appreciate that art. But he is definitely, it's its definitely not as conventionally commercial as most other comedies uh, or series out there in the world. And that's why people love him. Yeah. 
Well, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I also have to, uh, I guess, applaud studio and network executives in that way, too, because, you know, they they often want to take, uh, you know, the safe bets. They want to, like you said, go for the commercially appealing stuff, the things they know that are going to do well, that are going to make money. And this is a guy who they they really entrust to tell weird and different stories and know that, um, you know, there there is an audience out there for what he creates. And, and to your point, um, he makes stuff for himself. You know, every now and then <laughs> we'll talk to someone, um, a, a, an actor or something. Or it's, I've certainly heard musicians say this, that they say, no, I, I don't really listen to my music. I, I would not be like who i listened to meaning i I make the stuff that the you know the labels are asking me to make or i'm making this stuff because you know i gotta pay the bills um so he is in a unique position that he gets to create stuff that he would want to watch and i think there's something really cool about that and look it all comes from What's interesting is, is as much as we're talking about how, again, to use the term sideways, he might come at some things, it at its core is still uh, a product that is tied to something that there is that commercial hook. You know, with with Atlanta, um, it was it was a love story to the city of Atlanta. It also had, a, you know, if you distilled it down to its logline, it was about a, a man who wanted to become a music talent manager and his cousin uh, who was a a great rapper and them trying to make it big. Like that is, that is distilling that show down to, to a sentence and that is very hard to do. (laughs) So that gives, that does no justice to the series, (laughs) (laughs) but if you wanted to give an elevator pitch, that's what it is. And here, you know, you have um, the whole kind of Beyonce pop diva Mm -hmm. um, angle to it all where it's, it's this story uh, about, and it stars, um, Chloe Bailey, who's a uh, huge uh, star in, in music, and people know her from Grownish in terms of uh, the acting world. Her sister, of course, is about to be Ariel in the new Little Mermaid, and um, you know, so there, there is, you know, I don't want to discredit the fact that he's smart in picking things that you're able to uh, distill down to something commercial, but the actual execution of it all is just a little like WTF all the time, and in. in and sometimes, to be honest, sometimes I love it, and sometimes I'm like, "What did I just watch?" Um, but I'm always interested. But I'm, I, I never walk away not wanting more. I just walk away sometimes being like, "Hmm, did I like that? I don't know if I did or didn't, but I want to yeah, watch more of it." Right, right, and I, I appreciate that it gives you something to think about um, because you know there's some things you just you know you finish watching and you're like, mm, "Did not like that." Um, but it, his stuff even makes you think. Did I like it? I don't know. I, I it it lingers for a while, and and you, uh, you know, take in different elements of it at different times. Um, and and I I really love that. Um, yeah. By the way, Billie Eilish also pops up uh, in an episode of this show. Um, she's quite good and has uh, <laughs> a hell of an ending. Um, but yeah, and then you know. Dominique Fishback is, uh, you know, playing a, 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 a member of uh, Nyjah is the Beyonce like character here, but a member of her uh, fan group in the in the series. They're called the Swarm versus Beyonce's the Beehive, um, who look, it really has nothing to do with the Beehive at all. It's just that you're able to kind of place it in this uh, a- and give her motivation for her actions um because she gets really mad at people who do not like 
Nyjah's new music, and she does something about it by killing a lot of them. Um, so it's it's wild in, in those regards. I did not know what I was getting into when I started to watch this. Um, I mean, I knew I knew bits and pieces, but um, it's wild. And Dominique is so good, and it's crazy, and it's just one of those, like, I had to go on the full ride of the seven episodes. Episode six is like... Uh, uh, the the detective, the investigator comes in. So Dominique's not even in that episode at all. You just see kind of like the true crime story, like the, you know, the detective doing her work. I really kind of loved it and can't stop thinking about it. But um, we'll hear more from from Dominique in uh, in just a bit, including how she actually got the role, which I think is such a bold, wild move. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. Um, something else I want to move on to here. Um, news last week, Yellow Jacket supporting star Liv Hewson is withdrawing themselves from Emmy consideration over the Academy's gendered acting categories. Hewson is non-binary. And in a statement, they said, quote, there's not a place for me in the acting categories. It would be inaccurate for me to submit myself as an actress. It neither makes sense for me to be lumped in with the boys. It's quite straightforward and not that loaded. I can't submit myself for this because there's no space for me. We're not going to start awarding best female and male director or female or male cinematographer because we all understand that implicitly would be insulting. You can keep things as they are right now. I just won't be participating. So that said, I think it's a great statement, by the way. Um, but it's worth noting that the supporting category is quite a crowded field. So Houston's odds were not that great anyway uh, of landing a nomination. Not impossible, of course, uh, because we also got to say everyone in that cast is so good. Um, by the way, Showtime and Houston both said uh, that cast has been incredibly supportive of their decision, especially after they underwent top surgery prior to season two filming. Um, Patrick, what kind of do you think this will have any kind of domino effect? I can't predict if it's going to be a full domino effect, but it certainly is continuing a conversation, one that we've had uh, before on this podcast of a pre about previous award shows and how some of them have gone to non-gendered categories. Uh, and some maybe for this reason, some maybe just because they thought it made sense or made for fewer categories and made the show move along a little bit quicker. And I, I think it is something that we, it'll take us a minute to get there. And just a peek behind the curtain at working at uh, our company, Dot Dash Meredith, that owns Entertainment Weekly, diversity and inclusion and making sure that we uh, are not writing with bias is really important to them. There's an entire uh, anti-bias review board that looks at the content that all of our brands, and there's dozens of them, uh, put out into the world. And one of the things that we discussed with them when they first started working with Entertainment Weekly was we know they try to strip gender from as much content as they can to be inclusive of the broad spectrum of gender. And one of the areas that we were like, look, it just doesn't make sense for EW to do that completely is because there's going to be times that you're going to see the word actor, actress. And it is important because, because the industry does differentiate between the two for better or worse. And so I think, look, jumping forward, 20 years, maybe we will be in a world in which this is, is the case. I think that it's probably going to take uh, at least a decade for us to get there um, because I think different organizations will do it at different times um, as we've already started to see that happen. But I think that it's great. 
Also, do I think it's great that it just happens to get their name out there and and actually inform the public of this decision? Because I think if you were a fan of theirs and followed them on social media and such, you were aware of this. But if you didn't, you had no idea. Um, and so I think that is this was a great way of making this a more public announcement about the fact that they are non-binary while also not making it solely about themselves. Because to your point, like not positive. Look, they do fantastic work on the show. As you pointed out, it's a very crowded field. And even from that own, even, even from that cast, it would be a crowded fight to get to a spot. But um, I thought it was a really fantastic way to make sure that, that, that their truth was a little more public, but also in a way that wasn't just like, Hey, I'm just making this statement and all of you pay attention to me. It was like trying to trying to tie their own journey to something that's a larger conversation that's important to have. And I thought that that was really smart. Completely agree. Uh, And and I think, uh, you know, an important part of that statement was that, uh, you know, we don't separate directors and cinematographers by gender. I will note that, you know, when a lot of these award ceremonies started, they're weren't uh any female directors or cinematographers it was all men anyway so i i suppose uh to some extent that's just um who it was uh you know directing and and uh such and and those are the only people who were eligible but uh yes it's a great conversation we're having houston even said that uh in their statement it's worth talking about and i very gently and respectfully ask that people get their gears turning a little we are certainly doing that here that's why we're having the conversation um and we will continue to because by the way house of the dragon star emma darcy is also non-binary as is the last of us star bella ramsey that's just two there are more um so i i really wonder if the television academy will set up Pay attention, see what some of these other uh, voting bodies have done, the other organizations. Does it really matter, I think, is the big question. Um, you know, how will it impact what people think of their organization? Well, why do you really think what care what people think? <laughs> That's also part of the argument, too, I guess. But um, lots to take into consideration, and I hope people continue uh, to, to listen to what's happening in this conversation. Speaking of uh, the Television Academy, a different branch of it, the Daytime Emmys, they announced their nominees uh, this past week. Uh, I'll just kind of run through some numbers here quickly, and then we'll get really to the important part of it. General Hospital led with 19 nominations. Uh, uh, The Bold and the Beautiful got 14. The Young and the Restless, 13. Days of Our Lives, 11. I think those are the only four daytime soaps on anymore. Anyway, uh, and then talk shows. Kelly Clarkson's show got the most with 11. Uh, Drew Barrymore had seven. Jennifer Hudson's show was six. And then Sherry Tamer. Hall and The View, uh, they all tied with four nominations apiece. The big important part of daytime Emmy nominations, though, is that there are no game show nominees because uh, even though those do not air in primetime, they are now part of the primetime Emmys. So moving forward, the new primetime Emmy category for outstanding game show will be awarded to programs with game elements that primarily take place in studio and involve mental challenges. uh, And they're also adding a category for outstanding host of a game show. Uh, So that means that The Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Let's Make a Deal, Family Feud, those shows will all now compete with shows including The Wall, That's My Jam, $100,000 Pyramid, Press Your Luck, The Weakest Link, Supermarket Sweep, Generation Gap, uh, there are more. Um, What what did you think of that decision? Um, and, And do you think 
because of how many primetime game shows are, are, is it going to make it tough for those daytime ones? Because I'm actually looking at the list thinking, I think a lot of those daytime ones might end up being the nominees anyway. I, I agree. They're also syndicated, so they may air at different times in some places. But for the most part, most places I have either lived or visited, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune air just prior to primetime, you know, in between the in between the news. So I think in my head, I always kind of associated them with primetime anyway, even if they don't fit the technical definition. So I, I don't think that that's as much of a stretch. Now, there are a few others that may fall into contention that uh, were a little bit more afternoon or, you know, Price is Right, like that sort of stuff that is more daytime, daytime. But I also think that when you think of game shows, that's what you think of. Um, at least currently, because, you know, so many of us grew up staying homesick and watching them or on summer vacation, like, you know, Price is Right every day. So I, I do think that it's not going to, that those that those won't hurt from uh, being now lumped in with, with some other uh, programs and, and in the primetime uh, Emmys uh, categories. So I, I think that, I think ultimately this is actually great for all of them. Um, and I think it makes sense. I, I, I really do think that when you look at daytime uh, and you think of talk shows, you think of soaps, you think of that sort of content. And and I think when you think of game shows and reality and that sort of stuff, you do think of primetime. So all of this makes sense to me. I think, you know, you look at the fact that all of the like prices, right, does primetime specials so does wheel of fortune. So does Jeopardy. So all of these all of these all of these shows that have found ways to exist in primetime in a way that makes total sense. Um, and so th- this just seems like a natural progression to me. It's one of those things that you're just like, oh, wow, they were a part of daytime. Because again, I think it made sense for Price is Right, but not for Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. And so this this all feels right to me. I, I completely agree. Um, and you know, what's what's even so odd is the, Jared, the, the we, game we're, we're just agreeing left and right. We have to disagree on something to, to make this I podcast know. more well, interesting. No. You're, uh, <laughs> you, you're also it's right about that. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, what? what's odd to me was always that the um, the the game shows that really did air in primetime were part of the reality competition category. So you had uh, when it was on like Hollywood game night hosted by Jane Lynch competing with top chef or RuPaul's drag race or the amazing race, those things. And like one of these things is not like the other Um, Jane Lynch even won for hosting Hollywood game night. uh, You know, so it was, that was, that was a weird spot for that. Um, So this all, this is one of those Emmy changes. It is kind of like, finally, this makes complete sense. Why did you not do this sooner? So um, if you had to pick any one of those game shows to be on, what would it be? Oh, supermarket sweep in a second. Uh, Yes. Yes. My mom for years worked in a grocery store and we would sit at home watching this and she, she knew the aisles to hit and the, the route to take and everything. But let me tell you, I have tried for many years to get on Wheel of Fortune, and it just never happened. And then, of course, now, given given the work that we do and we're in communication with uh, publicists for those shows, we're, we're a little too close to it, so we couldn't be, but that's fine, whatever. But I do love me some Supermarket Sweep, too. Look, I love this job, but I would, I would quit it in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> if you could, yeah. You can be a contestant. See you later, Entertainment Weekly. Nice knowing you. Um, no. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we don't have any games coming up or anything, but we do have a really fantastic interview, if I do say so myself, with 
Swarm star Dominique Fishback. So don't go anywhere. That interview is coming up. The Awardist will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Awardist. Uh, if you have not seen her work in The Deuce or uh, She's So Great in Judas and the Black Messiah, you really should check out Swarm 7 episodes. They're all fairly short, so this is an easy binge that you can uh, take in, uh, you know, over the weekend or spread out over a few nights. Uh, but it's worth watching, uh, if nothing else, for her work, Dominique Fishback. She's fantastic in this series. Uh, so let's get to it right now, my interview with her. Dominic Fishback, thanks so much for joining us on The Awardist. How are you? Oh, I'm um, well. I'm so happy to be here. Excited to talk to you as well. Yeah, well, happy to have you. Um, yeah, gosh, I, I almost don't even know where to start with Swarm. There's so much to say. Actually, here's what we'll do. Let's talk about where you are right now. You're in Las Vegas for CinemaCon, giving uh, theater owners and exhibitors a preview of uh, something big. You have Coming this summer, Transformers Rise of the Beast. Yes. Uh, very much looking forward to that and excited about that. Now, um, I hear you thanked the crowd because you used to work in a movie theater. Is that right? Yes. I used to work at Regal Battery Park in New York oh. City by the World Trade Center. Yeah. I worked there in college. I, I worked there for about two years. And uh, it was my first job. And I thought, well, I want to act. So it would be good to be surrounded by movies because I'll be inspired. All it did was it did inspire me, but it also frustrated me because I was like, man, I want to be up there on the big screen. I got to do that. And so maybe it just gave me a, a different kind of fire underneath to get here. So it, it's, it's amazing yeah. to be here today. So before we get into Swarm, give everyone a little tease of Transformers because it is set in Brooklyn in 1994, correct? Yes, and you're is. a Brooklyn girl. So did it feel familiar in any way? I mean, at least that part of it. I'm sure none of the rest of it. Yeah, well, if, if all, it felt familiar because Steven was adamant about having authenticity and mm. he had decided that the characters were from Brooklyn before me and Anthony got on. So mm. it was nice to just be able to bring my authentic self to it and not try to be something other than what I was. Obviously, we're different. She's a artifacts researcher. Um, she's really good at her job and her boss keeps taking credit for, for the mm. work that she's done. And now she's kind of looking for, uh, inspiration or like another direction in life. And her mind is blown when she meets the Autobots and Noah. And essentially my mind is blown that I get to be the one portraying the one meeting the Autobots for the first time. We haven't had black or brown people yeah. take up space like this in a movie like this. And, um, to have the culture, the swag, the uh, cadence is really, really exciting. 
Uh, I can't wait for it. I grew up, I still own actually a lot of the action figures. Uh, they were wow. my jam when I was a kid. So yep. Love oh, you're this. a big fan. <laughs> oh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, by the way, you mentioned, of course, uh, working at a movie theater was great because you got to see the movie. So let's call that like the best part of working there was the worst part. I have to assume cleaning up like the spilled drinks. And yes. Honestly, after. my first day uh, <laughs> being on the floor, I was throwing away so many like slushy cans and um, sushi oh. cups and all the stuff and I just remember being like I will never ever leave another slushy slushy cup in a theater ever again because somebody has to clean it up and I think yeah. when I was younger I didn't consider that somebody was like cleaning it up so it definitely yeah. taught me a valuable lesson so now every time I leave a theater I'm like trying to gather everything I get uh, it. I, I worked in restaurants growing up. It, it changes your complete perspective about dining out. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So, and I think too, like Saturday, Fridays and Saturdays are the biggest nights mm-hmm. for people to come. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a requirement that you had to work, but normally we were closing at like two in the morning, but I was all the way in Manhattan and I was still in East New York, Brooklyn. So I would have to take the train all the way to East New York at like four and get home at like four o'clock in the morning, which is very dangerous. So, so that was probably yeah. the, the true worst part. Uh, got it. Yikes. Well, glad that worked out. Okay. Um, so clearly your, your, um, your, I don't want to say obsession, but your, your interest in acting and storytelling and performance, like that bug, it sounds like it bit, uh, from a, from a young age, because you got interested in acting when you were like 10 years old, if that story is true. Yeah, uh, I saw a theater company come to my school when I was eight. And so for the from the age of eight to 10, I tried to audition to this theater company, but I'd never got in. I officially started to get into the theater world when I was 15. I started Googling free acting programs for kids in New York City. And I came across this company that linked me to MCC Theater's Youth Company. In order to act, you had to write your own stuff. So I started acting and writing at the same time. I got introduced to like Broadway in a different way. The first Broadway show I saw was In the Heights. Uh, um, and that made me think, one. oh man, there is room for me. There is room for my own cadence and my own, I was a spoken word poet. So to see that on stage yeah. blew my mind. And then, uh, then I saw a one woman show called No Child and the woman was changing characters right before my eyes. And the, the theater director of the company, he looked at me and said, oh, you could do that. And I was like, you think so? He's like, yeah, you could do that. And so that's what I did. I wrote a one woman show called Subverted about the destruction of black identity in America. I played 20 different characters. I wrote it as my thesis to graduate from college. Wow. I mean, huge kudos to you for kind of, uh, I, I mean, taking matters into your own hands. That's a, uh, I think that's a, that's a big lesson for anyone. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of, uh, industry folks listening to this podcast, but a lot of fans as well. And probably some younger, hopefully some younger ones too. And that's, I mean, that's yes. amazing advice. That's yeah create, be a creator, do things and, uh, Absolutely. yeah, get, uh, it, it's practical real world experience. You know, I, I was going to ask you, um, specifically about, uh, that production, um, would, because as I was watching swarm, of course, we see Dre kind of take on, um, a couple different identities more in some ways to kind of hide and escape and, um, you know, elude capture. But did you, think back at all to that that play that you wrote in any way like okay i dealt with a lot of characters there but here you know a few but here's how to kind of track and keep track of the various stages of her journey mm-hmm. no i actually didn't even think the, the farthest i thought about it was the fact that oh man i feel like i get to do a one woman show on a, on tv that's what it felt like and i was really excited that uh dre got to kind of navigate between 
uh, the different dynamics of masculine and feminine energy, like yeah. the wounded masculine. I have been learning about energies just in general in my life. And a lot of times I get projects that really uh, hone in on what I've been exploring within my own reality, within my own life. And so mm-hmm. to see that, you know, even in the second episode, she goes to like the sexier feminine energy. Yeah. And then by the end, she goes to the masculine energy, the wounded masculine. And so it was really more from an energetic standpoint than like thinking of of playing different characters. I I considered her the same. It was Mm. just the circumstances were were different. And I was really excited that in this this series this limited that. I got to show some physical comedy. I've been a huge fan of Lucille Ball since I was 10 years old. I loved, I literally loved Lucy. Lucy. (laughs) I want to do that. I want to be like Lucy. I love Jim Carrey and his physical comedy. And I always wondered what would it be like to be on a set where you get to bring that physical comedy? Are you going to be in your head? Do you think I have to do something physically funny? And um, no, because it didn't start out with Dre being funny. It was just, Literally, they told me that Dre was uh, emotionally stunted. And I kind of mulled over that in my mind to think, what would that look like? Oh, it would look like she wears her emotions on her face. So when she has an opinion about something, a guy touching her arm, mm-hmm. everything's like, like, because she really, like, if she's not hiding, she's not hiding yeah. anything. Um, and when she has opinions about stuff, it's, it's right there for us to taste and touch and feel along with her. Um, so the running, the walking, the the looking around, her yeah. her looking around was her processing questions and trying to figure out what's the proper answer to say in this mm-hmm. moment. Got it. You know, like, yeah. and that's how I was able to find it. Makes total sense. I mean, even with some of the physical comedy, <laughs> you mentioned the second episode, Dre <laughs> trying to dance. <laughs> I, I mean, for all of the, like, you know, the way episode one ended and was like, oh, damn. And then we got like, okay, we got to laugh a little at the top of episode yeah. two. So I was like, okay, this is nice. But I mean, did you have to intentionally dance bad? Like you had to figure out how would one person strip poorly granted she's not stripping stripping but performing poorly no i didn't think how she would dance but originally originally they the direction was that she was actually kind of surprisingly good at it it was just the wrong song the wrong vibe uh-huh. and then we get on set yeah. and i'm doing it and then uh one of the producer janine comes up to me and the director and she's like Honestly, you look too sexy doing it. Like, <laughs> can you just make it like interpretive? And so on the spot, I had to like change it. And I think in the moment it was like my, like what? Cause the floor was like, wasn't at like, even the pro, even the pro dancer were like, this is not a good floor for it. I was in these heels. I'm not used to it. So to like change it on the spot was a, was, was a challenge, but I just kind of let myself go. I think if I knew that I had to do something funny, yeah. it might've been not been funny. But I think yeah. because it was like in a moment, like, I'm just going to do whatever it comes to my mind. Right. Uh, I'm glad that people. Yeah, there me. becomes that risk of overthinking if you knew mm-hmm. you would have had to do it. And I think the way that I even the way that I approach Dre is different from the other characters because I often journal as my other characters. But with her, I couldn't understand her psychologically on a page. And I realized she's very impulsive. And so if yeah. I try to map out things too much, it might it might not be as impulsive as it could. So what I did is almost along the lines of that, like feminine, masculine energy, you know, they talk about masculine energy being structure and feminine energy being flow. And so the structure 
of the scenes was how, you know, you learn in school, how is the character different from the beginning of the scene to the end of the scene, different from the beginning of the episode to the end of the episode. So within each scene, it's like, all right, she starts off here. By the end, she'll be here and everything else in between it's free, it's fair game. Mm. And so that was like the the dance between those masculine and feminine energies, yeah. even in the structure of finding Dre, which allowed to be in, in like in, allowed her to be impulsive and let things in the moment influence. Like her even p- picking up the strawberry in the second episode when she's in a diner and she bites it and she takes it out and she like pushes it off the off the, the screen. It literally was because for me the strawberry was bitter and I knew that if it was bitter to me Dre was gonna really be better to Dre, and she was really gonna make a perform like, uh-uh. you know. Yeah, I would have kind of probably took a napkin and was like, mm. yeah, or I probably right. just probably just ate it and went and not take it again. But Dre is not like that. Oh boy! Well, yeah, impulsive is uh, the absolute best word uh, to describe her, uh, and, and, and and so unpredictable too. I that's that's what I enjoyed about watching Dre uh, and your performance because. I did not know what she was going to do at any given moment. Just when you thought like, okay, she's going to have a moment of logic and she's going to, you know, with, with, uh, you know, the devil and the angel on her shoulders, she's going to like stop listening to that devil for a second and be like, no, I know what is right in the situation. Um, and no, she, she often went uh, the way that I did not expect her to, which was, was so. Yeah, cool. that was really important for Janine and Donald. I think they were like, honestly, we like, well, we want to find moments where we think, oh, we we got her, we understand, and then it gets flipped on its head, like another thing that we just no, I thought we understood her, and also questioning your own like morat like more morals and being like, did that person deserve it? I mean, that person like sometimes in the, like in like the theater watching it with people in the second episode, they're like, oh yeah, she talking too much, she had to go. Like you know, it's like <laughs> it's so funny that you know that that. Haley character was talking too much and so they like oh I understand you know like but then another one's like oh the, the strippers didn't deserve to get left uh with the body but I'm like actually they were mean to her especially mm-hmm. the head stripper she they were mean mm-hmm. to her the whole episode and really in episode one and two Dre is really not trying to bother anybody especially one she's yeah. kind of living her own life yeah. yeah she's awkward yeah she you know it's, it's easy for people to pick on her but she's really not bothering anybody and they keep like kind of poking mm-hmm. at her. Yeah, they they're definitely poking the bear for sure. <laughs> was this uh in getting this role was it an audition process or did you get like a kind of straight up offer from uh, Donald and Janine? Yeah, so I just finished actually filming Transformers, flew back yeah. from Peru, it was like October of 2021 and uh my team I was so tired my team was like hey Donald Glover has a project and he wants to talk to you about it and I'm like oh shoot Donald knows me that's pretty cool and he's thought about me for a project uh they told me they wanted me to watch this film called uh, The Piano Teacher I watched it and I was like oh it's a French film and I was like this is a lot I don't know if I'm actually brave enough to play a character like that. I was like, I don't know why they want me to watch that movie. But I met and talked with them and Janine was like, oh, it's not that. It's just uh, a character study. And we wanted to show that from that film. Um, And they said, but tell Dominique which role you want her to play. And they said, Marissa, which is the role that Chloe Bailey ends up playing. And she does it beautifully. They wanted me for Marissa originally. And I was like, after they told me this whole thing about Dre and I was excited because I was looking for opportunity as an actor to really show just how much I can do and the versatility that I always felt that I had inside. So I was like, oh man. So I told my team after they listened, like, 
you can tell him, thank you. I, I, I'm honored, but I, I don't want to play Marissa. I want to play Dre. And my team was like, okay, you might have to fight for Dre. You might have to audition. I was like, if that's the case, so be it. And then I got on the phone with Donald. Oh, let me and he was find like, my tongue with just- <laughs> Yeah, right? I was ready. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I got on the phone with Donald. And he said, well, tell me why. I said, I just don't want to catch up to my own self as an actor. And he was like, well, well, we didn't. We thought of you for Marissa because we're used to seeing you in roles that make you feel very familiar. You feel like somebody that we know, our sisters, our our friends. And so that's what we automatically thought. But if that's the role you want, that's the role you get. And oh, I was almost like, what? Wait, that I was is- on the phone thinking like, did this really happen? Or am I, was he hypothetically speaking? But no, it, it was, it was mine just, just from asking for it. And then I had to think, oh, I don't know what she's doing in the rest of the show. And I got nervous. <laughs> okay. Well, so that was going to be my next question. How much did you know about her journey before you yeah, said yes? I knew Not everything much. they told me, oh. but I didn't know. How, you know, so people could tell you, but you don't know how it was executed. So right. I knew I had one episode and wanted to do it. And then I got two more and I was like, no, I need all of them. I need all of them. They weren't ready yet. So I had to just kind of trust the process and uh, ask them to, that I could be a producer on the show because I knew the type of care that I was going to bring, not just to, to Dre, but to the entirety of the whole show. And um, they made me a producer and I, I was, I felt imp- more empowered to like speak and like, kind of be very clear about what I think and um, have open conversations about it. Mm. I am like standing up in my head cheering for you. I love that. Thank you so much. Awesome. Do you think in hindsight that telling Donald why you wanted Dre, that there was something in telling him that, that he was like, Oh, I, I get it right here in front of me. She is kind of, exuding uh traits of dre <laughs> which is what that, which that, well that there was that there was kind of that um that that like you're you're going after what you want you you know what i mean there's there was a certain kind of strength in it almost i don't i don't know yeah uh maybe i i don't know he he just he said i read somewhere in an interview that he said he recognized that in himself and how he wants to be challenged in his own like acting career um so he understood the desire to want to do something different than what people have known you as. And and for me, I just felt like I didn't want to get put into a box, um, into my own create, like my, even within myself, I have been used to playing characters now that were easy, easier to digest, easier to relate to. And I didn't want to get afraid because then Transformers was going to come out. And then that was another character that's easy, easier to kind of put your arm around. And I didn't want to get stuck in my own mind to be like, People like seeing me like this. How could I shake it up? So I wanted to shake it up before I got too afraid. And now that I've shaken it up, I, I hope that that opens many more doors for me to do wild things or whatever it is. Oh, I, I would certainly think it would. Um, did you film in order of episodes or was it kind of block shooting from various Yeah, episodes? we shot uh, the pilot first and then we shot two and three and then we shot five episode five and then we shot four and then we shot seven and then they shot six without six separately without you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes, makes sense. So that, that I would think helped for you to kind of track her a bit along the way and not have to be all over the place. Well, not me. I didn't know that stuff about her childhood. Really? That episode happened after. So, but it was okay because for me, I was learning even again, I I started learning about repressed memories 
and how something so traumatic could happen to you that you that you don't even remember. And so I allowed myself to say, you know, I don't have to know everything about Dre's background. She probably doesn't even remember. She suppresses so much from herself that she suppressed it from me. And so it's okay. All I all I had to do was journal as myself and identify any thing that Dre does that really gives me pause or makes me feel uncomfortable that is against what I believe and how I feel so that I can write it out the way so that, you know, the camera won't pick up a war between me and Dominique doing something that Dre is doing and, and feel, feel my like, oh, I want to do that right. type thing. You right. know, I wanted it to be free because that was my, my, it was my job essentially. I asked for it too. So. <laughs> good point. Good point. Makes sense. Which kind of sets uh, as a as a perfect segue to this question. As you were processing Dre and her actions and behavior, uh, which moment became the one that you were kind of most anxious to film or dreading filming? Yeah, uh, definitely the finale. Definitely seeing with her with her girlfriend. I, that was the first time. You know, all the other kills essentially were used with a weapon. So they, there was a little bit of distance between it. So for that to be so personal, for it to actually be more impulsive, I think it was impulsive like the first episode. I don't think she went to the first, think went to Khalid's house in episode one thinking that she was going to kill him. I don't think that was the case. Um, every, but moving forward, it was like, okay, she was on a roll doing this thing. But with this episode, we had gotten to the place where I think she really loved uh, Rashida, I think Rashida loved her as well, and so it almost felt hopeful, like you know maybe she got over the the demons that she had, and then she didn't. And so yeah. for me, that was really heavy. Like I got back to my apartment after that, and I like emotionally and spiritually, I was really exhausted. Like couldn't keep my eyes open. Like it was like I it was just I've never experienced anything like that. So I felt like my spirit was really just like protecting me the whole time and you know because it is really uh it is deep work i mean every actor is different but i know for myself i i i want to be a vessel for my characters i've always done that and it it was easier before because the characters all always most often danced with the light and played more in the light and she wasn't and so that was something i had to come to terms with before i did it what does it mean to want to do light work in your life and with your art um, to play a character that is more in the darkness. And then I talked to a lot of my f- my friends, but really came down to the fact that, like, if you're going to be light, then uh, you spending most of your time in, in, the, in the light doesn't really show. Like, you have to go to the darkness to shed light on the things that we don't really address a lot of the times. Yeah. So as an actor, getting to play in the dark, like you were talking about, um, it sounds like you must have gained a lot um, that, that you're able to kind of look at other projects as they come along and know, uh, like, to, to, does it give you more perspective having played this character as you look at future projects? Uh, no, because I think that uh, the perspective is what I've been using uh, the whole time in order to allow myself to play a character like Dre, which is my younger self, which is that the kid who said, I want to act and saw, saw Heath Ledger play the Joker and saw Charlize Theron and Monster and Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry 
and when saying, wow, I want the opportunity to do something like that. And even even Transformers, too, had just come from doing Judas. And a lot of times you don't really pair those like critically acclaimed acting movies with you know, with blockbuster movies. And I've, since a kid, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to do it all. I didn't want to limit myself and say, I'm just this type of actor. I wanted to, to kind of dance in a world of all the genres of all the different types of films and movies, the same way that I bring characters to life, like in Judas and things like that, the same way I brought Elaine to life in Transformers, same way I did for Dre. It all comes from humanity and heart first. And then the given circumstances is what changes it, but not my mindset about it. I don't say, oh, this is a blockbuster, so emotions aren't necessary. I say it's all necessary because it's human. And um, so, again, moving forward, you can, you can get you can get nervous. Like, you know, Swarm, people really love Swarming, you know, so I could be like, oh, man, what am I going to do next? Or I could say, honestly, when a thing comes, I'll know because it's going to sit in my spirit, in my in my soul a different way in the same way that Swarm sat in it when I read it and I said I want to play Dre, same way it was Transformers or or Judas or any of the other projects. So I keep the same perspective. It's like, what did my younger self want to do? What was she inspired by? And then try to move from there. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, Rashida, played by the fantastic uh, Kiersey Clemens. So great. Um, and, and like you said, uh, when that... Um, Gosh, when when that death happened, I I was I was saying no, don't don't do it, Dre, don't don't do it, uh, and and Dre did it. Well, Dre Tony, uh, whichever technically name we want to say there, but um, but you know, yeah, so there are two different relationships uh within Swarm that I kind of want to dissect. There is uh, the one with uh, Rashida, but then uh, yeah. but then also with her foster sister and and bestie marissa played by the uh also very great um chloe bailey um with with rashida of course dre was now presenting masculine as tony so on paper i suppose the the difference in the dynamics uh the difference was already there but what did you enjoy about how you got to explore those relationships in two very different ways um well, honestly, I just was thankful to have such terrific scene partners. Um, they also bring their like different um, energy. I just think I think that Dre gained more self-assurance as the show went on, even though it was convoluted. So with Marissa, it was like she was always going to go with the flow of what Marissa wanted. You know what I mean? Like whatever Marissa wanted to do, that's what Dre was going to do. It didn't matter if she didn't want to do that. Whereas with by the time we get to Rashida, you can see that Dre is like when she doesn't have when she doesn't have the money for the flowers and Rashida looks disappointed. She just chin up, like she does a little chin up thing like, you know, or the, the shot was closed or she she is more like, yeah, you're going to take you're going to take whatever I got to give, essentially. And that's the same energy that she brought when she bought those tickets and didn't listen. And that's what what ended up happening but I didn't I really didn't think let me approach these uh these characters differently I just again wanted to be be present and know exactly what Dre feels about everything and that's what's really important um the circumstances change but she still feels the same way she still loves Nyjah when she gets into that pharmacy and the video is on she's like this you know it's back she's back to like doing that even though other people's around but she's still the the 
the truth of who she is is always somewhere in there shining through. Yeah. Um, okay. So I did not think this while watching, but I started to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and I had to stop myself, uh, online of people thinking that Dre actually killed Marissa. Do you, what? I've been reading that. That never, like, I, I, that never crossed my mind. Not when I read the script, not when I, when I first watched it. And then so to see everybody being like, and there's all these think, there's like these think pieces and like the, uh, this one tweet that I saw, which a, a girl, she went in about how like in film and like film history, the lights mean things. And like, you could see Dre is washed with a, with a yellow light in this moment and all this stuff. And I'm like, I was there and I'm not trying to discredit anybody, but I swear it, we weren't, it wasn't thinking that like it was not. All of a sudden, there's a dark wash in her face. Like, unless they talked about this, like, and, you know, and was like, okay, unless they made a decision for Dre, like, Lights made a decision for Dre that I wasn't aware of and that wasn't brought to my attention to to, to say that she killed Marissa was like, I mean, the, the theory was cool. I was like, I mean, I could end up believing that if I wasn't there <laughs> and know that, like, Dre loves Marissa so mm-hmm. much she would never she would never do that uh I, I i don't see that happening i didn't either i'm glad you confirmed it i there I, it just it seemed not feasible at all to me um okay so uh, at first uh when, when the series starts of course there are uh nods to beyonce then we get more kind of confirmation that yes this is loosely based on true stories you see uh you know flashes of, of headlines or whatever there might be on uh, you know, true stories, reported stories, rumors, whatever they might be, mm-hmm. um, from the way she surprised dropped an album to, you know, the being bit <laughs> at a party. Um, uh-huh. Granted, you weren't playing the, the you know, s- music superstar, but given that this is a story about a uh, frighteningly loyal fan, I guess I will call her, did it make you nervous in any way to portray someone, like, from the beehive or, or any fandom for that matter in this kind of light? Well, the, the truth of the matter is like, I didn't study any fandoms. I didn't think it was necessary because the truth of the matter is Dre. Like I don't, I didn't connect to her on paper automatically. So I had to really find what it is I connect to, which was love. That's universal. We all understand what love is. Dre loves Marissa and she loves Nyjah. And so that's what I went on. So I didn't really go down a rabbit hole to be like, which fan base is this? And also, to be honest, it's called Swarm, but Dre is really a one-person band. Even when she gets the opportunity to have somebody that's like, oh, we could be like Thelma Louise. Like, this is so cool. She she offs her. She takes her out. She does, She's not even looking to have a, a whole, like, fandom with her to carry out some kind of mission. She is by herself. She's on her own. She's in her own mission. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes complete sense. Um, and, and by the way, I want to give a, a, a shout out to the rest of your supporting cast. In addition to Chloe Bailey and Kiersey Clemens, Billie Eilish, Rory Culkin, Damson Idris, uh, X Mayo, yes. Harris Jackson. I mean, what a great group of people you got to play with. Amazing. It was it was it was beautiful because, you know, it was often bittersweet. Because each episode, Jay would kind of be by herself. And like the people that we kind of got a little used to, we loved, they would go away. And that was the same feeling for me. It was like, uh, I loved, I love Chloe. 
And it was such a beautiful experience. And Damson, I love him too. And so when he left, it was like, oh man. And then I got to to hang out with Paris and I I just loved her and X. And I just loved the the other girls from the Allure ladies, as they're called. Like <laughs> they were so funny. They they improved a lot of things and they're comedic geniuses. Like a lot of the stuff that you hear is stuff that they just ad-libbed. It was amazing. Oh, wow. Um so I had a good time with them and then got uh got to meet Byron Bowers and he's so funny. His dry comedy is just sometimes I, I couldn't tell if he was serious or not on set. And that, you know, that gave a different dynamic. And then there's Billy and yeah. she's so dynamic and she's so kind. And I even, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this press right now. And when I take off my heels, I'm wearing, wearing my Billie Eilish sneakers. So, uh, <laughs> so I carry her, I get to carry her with me. Yeah. And, um, and then, and the other, other, the other women in the, the cult episode, they were also, really dope and, and funny and talented. Some of them came out to South by Southwest. So I got to share time with, time with them. And, and, you know, a lot of times you do these things and you don't get to connect with people after, but they got to, to see it. We got to see it with everybody. And, uh, and then we went and I had time with, with Kiersey and, and she was amazing. And she was like just a perfect energy to kind of wrap it up in a bow for me. Yeah. Mm. Well, that feels like a great place to wrap this up in a little bow. Here's the question I will wrap it up in a bow with. Uh, what is the name of Dominique Fishback's fans? <laughs> oh, you know, that this came up on uh this came up on, on Twitter before. And I just remember this uh article, this magazine did something, like a little like a little feature on me, and they said we're officially obsessed and they spoke official with the fish and so I, we're calling them the officials they're the officials that's really <laughs> cool that's a lot of fun i love that well um i i hope the officials treat you well uh, and you. each other well for that matter they will yeah. they will yeah very good well <laughs> thank you so back. much it has been a great pleasure thank you congrats on the series and everything else coming up thank you Okay, well, first of all, I got to say, I, I cannot wait to see her in Transformers Rise of the Beast. I, I as I told her there, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I do, for real, still have some of the uh, uh, action figures put away in a box uh, back home, along with all my He-Man action figures. Uh, so I, I love these movies and, and franchise. They're just, they're fun. They're just fun. Um, a, a little absurd, but they're fun. Um, but I... I could not get over the fact that she basically got that role by telling Donald Glover, no, I'm not playing that one. I, this, the lead role, this is me. So it's, it was, it seemed like it was kind of a like, if you want me, it's going to have to be this. I have so much respect for her game. Yeah. Well, just, it just, it's a, it's a great lesson in ask for what you want. Um, yeah. There's, there's, uh, Julia Roberts did the same thing, uh, in a, for America's sweetheart. Uh, they they wanted her for the role that eventually went to Catherine Zeta Jones, like the mm -hmm. bitchy uh, movie star. And she was like, "No!" In true Julia Roberts fashion, she's like, "No, I want to be the sweet one." Which fair, <laughs> she actually did the opposite. She was like, "No, I want to yeah. play more to type." Um, mm -hmm. But it's 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 asking for what you want, and it's it's a valuable lesson for all of us. Well, speaking of Patrick, then while I have you here, and I'm just kidding, uh, <laughs> but no, you're you're right. It, oh, it is, I gotta go. Is, uh, oh, darn! What's that? You're you're losing me on the Zoom. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, she's like I said, she's great in it, and uh, that that whole conversation with her, I could have talked to her for days about this show because there are certain things that um, I mean, even down to that, you know, people wondering if she 
uh, killed her best friend, you know, saying what I, I, I never thought that for a second. That's why I do love when, um, you know, there's some stars who like to avoid social media completely and, and, uh, you know, avoid, you know, Reddit and all that kind of stuff. But she seemed to kind of embrace it and wanted to see what people thought and were talking about. Um, and so seeing that theory, uh, kind of blew her mind as much as it blew mine when I read it. But it's it's really uh, it's really a fascinating show. Um, and again, like you said earlier, Donald Glover stuff not for everyone. So yes, I will say that about this too. But um, I I enjoyed it more than I thought it would. So there you go. Um, and Patrick, always enjoy having you here as much as I thought I would. <laughs> more than I thought I would. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take the compliment. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening. That is it for this episode of The Awardist. If you like what you're hearing here, follow, rate the podcast and leave us an award winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We'll see you back here next week. This episode of The Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.